Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. Let's do this. Let's turn to the book of Acts. All right. We're continuing in this series that we call Wildfire, where uh, we're looking at how the word of God, the gospel, the church was just spreading across the ancient world like a wildfire, and and it was just doing uh, amazing things, and how that wildfire continues to today, that as we are 2,000 years removed from this story that we read, um, that wildfire, that Holy Spirit still continues in our lives today and is doing amazing things all across the world. And, um, and it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. One of the things that we're going to look at today is that it's this odd kind of phenomenon that for some reason, the gospel flourishes under persecution. Did you get that? For some reason, the gospel flourishes when you would think it wouldn't. It flourishes under persecution. And story after story throughout the New Testament proves this. Uh, we, we look through church history, and we see proof of it over and over and over. But whenever there is persecution, whenever there is limitation to the spread by, a, by a government or by a group of people uh, to the to spread of the gospel, it is in that environment that the gospel will spread the most fiercely. Uh, to, you go back uh, several decades uh, to... Um, uh, South Korea, uh, of course, of course, the gospel uh, does not spread or, or is very persecuted in North Korea, but, but it used to be the same in South Korea as well. And, but the church just grew and grew and grew in South Korea to where today one of the or the largest church in the world is in South Korea and Seoul, South Korea, with a membership of one million people. That's a big church. That is a that's a huge church. One million people. Now, um, can, can I just say? Um, can you imagine that when that church was started, you know, several decades ago? Can you imagine that the people, the, the, the leaders who started that church had any inkling of an idea that God would take that little dream that they had of a, putting a church in Seoul, South Korea, and growing it to a million members strong? Can you imagine that they had any thought of that? I, I can't. I can't. But what God does is amazing. That God has the ability to take even our smallest dreams and grow them into something God-sized, God-sized. So we're going to look at this little story, just a few verses in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Like I said, the gospel has spread outside of Jerusalem to the surrounding areas, and, and, and the church is just continuing to grow. Great things are happening. Miracles are being done. The apostles' leadership is being respected, and they just continue to grow in that leadership, and it's just... Again, just the church is, is beginning to look like something more mature than it looked that, that those first several weeks. It's just continuing to grow and to grow and to grow. And then we get this little passage, chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Let me grab a quick drink. <coughs> it says this. <clears throat> About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. It was a festival. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. 
So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So everything's going great. The church is spreading. They are starting to see more persecution. We talked about the stoning of Stephen several, a few weeks ago. Um, but everything is, is still continuing to grow and to flourish and to, to thrive. And then we get this, this story. Uh, James, the brother of John, is killed by Herod. Herod, being a popularity freak, you know, he, he just loves that popularity, loves when the people are happy with him. He sees that the people are happy that he killed James, so he's like, hey, you know what would make him happier? Let's kill Peter too. So he rounds up Peter and arrests him, and now Peter's stuck in, in jail. Now, I am quite positive that as the, as the apostles would occasionally gather together and the church leaders at that time would occasionally gather together for their meetings and, you know, what are we going to do and what they're going to strategize about how can we best spread the gospel and where should we go and, you know, what kind of things should we be teaching. I'm quite possible that in those strategy meetings and those dreaming meetings, one of the things that never came up is, you know what would really cause our church to grow? Why don't we set a situation up where you get killed and you get arrested. I'm sure that conversation never took place, ever. Because you know what? When we dream our dreams and we, when we kind of press forward into our lives, we never consider, we rarely consider, what are the kind of um, obstacles, the hurdles, the bad things, the catastrophes that might happen to us along the way. And for a lot of us, when those things happen, um, it completely turns our world upside down. It completely rocks our faith. Uh, we just don't even know what to do about it. And we hear, if, if you continue, we're not going to read through the, the rest of this chapter, but, but if you were to continue reading on through the rest of this chapter, you're, I'm going to tell you the ending is that uh, Peter gets out of jail and Herod dies, okay? And so, so God's still in control. God's still on the throne. But when those hiccups happen, when things, and by the way, the death of a brother, not so much of a hiccup, is it? I mean, that, 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 that hurts. That's painful. It has lasting repercussions on your, on your soul. It, it's a hard, hard thing for them to have, have to gone through. When those kind of things happen, and we don't have a right thinking about who we are and who God is, if we're not careful, it'll completely, completely sidetrack our faith. Everybody in this room has seen somebody, if you've been a Christian for very long at all, you've seen somebody go through a situation that was so painful to them, that was so hard, or a continued disappointment over a long period of time that was so difficult for them to, to go through, that eventually they just threw their hands up in the air and gave up. And where they once were praising God and blessing God, they began to curse God. We've all seen people go through that. And it's heartbreaking to see it. And it really truly stems from not having a right perspective about yourself, not having a right perspective about who God is. It's so critically important. It's so critically important. At Living Hope, um, our mission statement says this, that we exist to bring glory to God and to bring hope to people who have none. We exist to bring glory to God and bring hope to, and, and, and you'll, you'll find similar mission statement in churches all across the land, love God, love people. We, 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 we uh, you know, compress it down to a lot of times to glory to God, hope to people. But whatever that is, it's about loving God. It's about loving people. But we, when we talk about glory to God, we, we choose that word very carefully because we think that man's highest glory is to find the glory that is in God. That our highest priority, our highest 
personal glory can be found in the glory of God. That ultimately, this life is not about us. It's about him. It's about him. And so many times when, when those hiccups in life happen and those obstacles take place, we lose the perspective on who we are and who God is, and we get things turned around, and before long, we start living. And maybe some of you are still there. Maybe, maybe it, had, it didn't take um, a, a catastrophe to get you there. Maybe you have just entered into the faith at this point to where you still have this idea that the whole reason God exists was somehow to save you. That the whole reason that there is a God, and that, or the whole reason that Jesus came in the first place, was for your benefit. And what the Bible teaches over and over and over is that it is not about us at all. It is all and completely for the glory of God. And we trade in what is the glory of God for something that just compels or pales in comparison. Pales in comparison. You guys, if you've been here very long at all, you've heard me tell this story. I'm going to tell it again. I'll probably tell it until the day I die. But it's my favorite Isaiah story. And it's, it's when Isaiah was three years old. We were driving uh, cross country. We stopped at the Grand Canyon. And at the Grand Canyon, um, we had been building up the Grand Canyon the, the entire trip. We're going to see the Grand Canyon. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's like one of the greatest things in the world. Everybody in the world just talks about how great it is. Again, Isaiah is three or four years old, uh, you know, very, very young at the time. And, and, uh, but he is getting excited. We've built it up in, in his mind enough that he is really starting to get excited. Are we there yet? Are we at the Grand Canyon yet? And all this kind of stuff. And so we, we finally get to the Grand Canyon, and we do the, what most people do. You know, most people just stop and kind of look at it for a little bit and leave, which is what we'd had time to do so we stopped went to the rim you know the railing around the, the the rim there of the grand canyon stood there at the rim with with dozens of people on either side of us just taking it in just in awe of what we were seeing we had, this was our first time we had seen it too and we are just it's just dead i mean again there's probably 60 or 70 people all around us and it's just dead silent as everybody takes this in and i'm holding isaiah and we're like i'm like here it is and we're looking and after a few moments of silence, <coughs> Isaiah pipes up and he says, Hey, where's the candy? Right? Where's the candy? He thought the whole time we've been talking about the grand candy. The grand candy. And he was so excited that the greatest candy in the world was getting ready to be in front of him. And, and he was just, I mean, he was so stoked about it. And, and everybody around us began to laugh because he was the only person that made a noise at that moment. But it was like, Hey, where's the candy? Isaiah had one of the greatest natural wonders in the entire universe before him, but was disappointed because he couldn't have a piece of candy. Disappointed because he couldn't have a piece of candy. And so many times in our own Christian life, it's the exact same. We have access to the glory of God, to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to mighty, incredible things, to, to the glory that is God Almighty, and we'd rather trade it in for some candy. We'd rather trade it in for something ultimately that has no lasting value, that doesn't really, that doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really mean anything at all. Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, he says it this way. Jeremiah chapter 2. <laughs> it's verse um, 11. It says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods, but my people have changed their glory 
for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Now, get this picture in your head for just a second, because it's, really, it's a really incredible kind of word. You know, there's so much poetry in the Bible, and a lot of times you've got you to think of it in terms of poetry. But what, what Jeremiah is saying in this passage, what this prophecy is saying, is that man, people, have taken their, traded in their glory, which, by the way, is found where? In the glory of God have traded in the glory of God with other gods that aren't even really gods. You are, you are trading in, what's he say there? You are trading it in for that which does not profit. It's for something that doesn't matter, it doesn't have any lasting value in your life. And then, he, and then he turns from condemning man about this situation, and he turns to the universe. The universe. And he says this, Be appalled, O heavens. Be appalled, be shocked, be utterly desolate. And the image that's actually being conjured up here, if anybody has ever been a kid, which you all have, so think back, go back in the way back machine in your head for just a second. Remember a time in your life when maybe a teacher or a parent or somebody came into a room where one of your friends was misbehaving, right? Was really getting out of line, but you weren't. You were doing the right thing. And the, and the teacher or the parent or whoever the authority figure was comes in and, and instead of talking to the kid that's misbehaving, they talk to you. And I can't believe you guys are going to have to miss out on something so great because of what he is doing. And it's like, you guys, universe... Universe that is constantly praising me. Universe that is constantly singing my praises and shouting my name and declaring my glory. If you've ever been out in nature in a big way and, and you know, those, those, those just monumental hikes and national parks and things like that that you see and you're just like, you're just staggered by that they declare the glory of God. And he's like, universe that never stops praising me, that never stops declaring my glory. You guys need to be scared right now because I'm getting ready to tear this place up because these jokers can't get it right. Because these jokers can't get it right. And we take the glory of God and we trade it in for candy. We trade it in for candy all the time. We get things so screwed up. And this looks like so many different ways in our lives, guys. Because it's not, it's not even always about <coughs> um, obstacles, catastrophes, whatever. Sometimes it's, it's even in more subtle ways. Sometimes it's when God calls us. When God places a calling on our life and he you kind of you, you start to feel the Holy Spirit nudge you in a certain direction to make a certain decision, to make a certain change in your life, to maybe to lead in a certain way, whatever that might be, just to kind of step up in a bigger way than you've been stepping up before. And we begin, we begin to immediately go through the laundry list of reasons why we can't do that, why we're not good enough, why um, I don't have the abilities to do that, I don't have the money to do that, I don't have the time to do that. Or, or we, and so we, we, we do one of two things. We either become a bystander to life. We make the, the choice to say, I can't do any of this, so I'll just step back and watch it be done. Or we, so we either become a bystander or we choose to become a victim. Well, you, you just don't understand where I am because 
You know, my, my parents never told me that they loved me. All I ever heard growing up was, I wish you'd never been born. All I ever heard, all, you know, the only thing that, ever, that keeps ringing through my ear is the one teacher in the second grade who told me I would never amount to anything. And we play that victim card over and over and over in our lives. And you know what one of the saddest things I think in the world is? Is when you have a person who is 40, 50, 60 years old still playing the role of the victim of something that was said or done to them as a kid. Said or done to them as a kid. And I know sometimes things can be said and things can be done to us that, that are very painful and take us some time to process. But the truth is, many of you have just become comfortable being the victim. You've become comfortable thinking about yourself in that degraded kind of way. You've, become to, you've come to believe the lies, believe the stupid things that have been said about you. And you have made that your identity. And one of the things that you have to remember when it comes to this issue that we're talking about this morning, one of the things you have to remember is that ultimately um, our identity is found in Jesus Christ. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. Your identity is not the mistakes you've made. It's not the statements that have been said about you. It's not your job. It's not even your family. Your identity, your true, true identity is found only and completely in Jesus Christ. And I want to I I challenge you this morning to stop either being a bystander or a victim. God has called you to greater things. See, you, I know it's the kind of the joke around living hope that don't tell, you know, Jeff, your idea, because he'll just make you do your idea, that sort of thing, you know, and, 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 and it's kind of become that thing. But, but this is, I, I, I do that for a reason. It's not because I'm lazy, <coughs> I promise. <coughs> not that I'm not lazy. I am a little bit lazy, but that, that's a whole different sermon. But, but the, the, reason, the reason I do that is because I am a firm believer that when, when, you, when, you, when God gives you a burden, when God impresses upon you a need that needs to be filled either in our church or in our community or in your family or whatever it may be, and you feel like something needs to be done about that, that there is a reason that God spoke to you about that thing. There is a reason that he impressed that upon your mind and not my mind or anybody else's mind, that God is possibly and potentially calling you to something calling you to stretch yourself in a way that maybe will make you a little bit uncomfortable. And it's when we, do, when we actually hear those calls, feel those spiritual nudges, and we step into them instead of stepping away from them, that God is truly glorified. Why? Because we acknowledge we have to, unless you are just this, you know, egomaniac. You have to acknowledge at some point or another, God, I don't think I can do this, but I know you can. So if this is something you're calling me to do, you're going to have to do it, but I'll come along for the ride. I'll come along for the ride. I'll do whatever you need me to do, but just know this isn't in me to do. It can only be in you. And what's the Bible say that in our weakness, he is made strong? In our weakness, he is made strong. And all the time we spend 
putting God off, keeping him at a distance, keeping his glory at a distance. It's just wasted. It's wasted. It's almost like stealing glory from God. You know who gets glory in the situation of being a victim? The victim. You know who, who gets all the attention? The victim. You, you know who gets all the glory and attention if they're a bystander just standing by criticizing what everybody else is doing? Them. All the attention is on them. You know who gets the glory in the life of the person who steps up and says, I can't do this, but God can, and, just, and then God steps up in big ways and does what he know, only he can do? God. His glory is unbelievable. Unbelievable. This passage, I've got to read this passage to you. Kirk, this is my next tattoo right here. All right. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. This, this just staggered me this week as I read it. I've read it many times before, but it just crushed me. Romans chapter 11, start with verse 33. It says this. Oh, the depth. I love that word. It's one of my favorite words in the English language, depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Let me stop right there for just a second. How deep is the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God? And all the excuses that we tell ourselves why we can't or why we're not able or why we're insufficient or why we're broken and whatever it is, the lies that we tell ourselves and the Bible tells us how deep, you have no idea how deep the resources, the riches of God are. That God owns the cattle, what's to say, on a thousand hills, which basically means he owns them all. He owns them all. That God's riches cannot even be fathomed, that they are the depth of his riches. What about the depth of that, of that wisdom? When we're presented with situations where we don't even know what, we ha- what, what to do, or we don't even know how to proceed forward, and the Bible teaches us that if we would just lean into the wisdom of God, we'll find wisdom in ourselves that we didn't even know existed. Not that it's in us, but it's, it's from God to us. We lean in, and, and what happens is so many times in our life, whether it's in relationships or choices or you know, career things or whatever it may be, we lean into our own wisdom or we lean into conventional wisdom and we think, well, this is what you know, everybody says I should be doing. This is what I think I should be doing. And, but I know, I know God says, God's word says this, but that just doesn't make sense. And we choose candy instead of the canyon. I've had conversations with people who, who, you know, who are in, say, romantic relationships with somebody that they just know isn't good for them that they just know, everybody around them knows. Like, let me just tell you this. If you, like, if every person, if you're dating someone, and every person in your life is telling you how bad this person is for you, I mean every person in your life, you might want to listen to that. You might want to listen to that. Because I'm just guessing that not Every person in your life just wants you to be unhappy. I'm guessing that at least a few of those people 
genuinely love you and care about you and know you and can see changes in you that you can't see. I'm just saying you might want to listen to that. But I see this where, where people know. It, it, maybe it's not even just a, a sense that they're getting from friends and family. Maybe it's a very clear biblical reason why they should not be in a relationship with this person. They know it's wrong for them. From a spiritual point of view, it's wrong from them. And they get into that situation and they, they, they can't back away from it. And they say, I know God's word says this, but I love him. I love her so much. And what they end up doing is they end up choosing what they see as good instead of God's best. Where if they would have just leaned into God's wisdom and chosen what God ultimately had as best for them, their lives could have been so much different. That knowledge, unbelievable. Let's keep going. Um, I lost my page. Here we are. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Let me, let me go ahead and throw this next one in there. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who has known the who is? In other words, you know, it's like God looking at us and saying something to the effect of, um, okay, I, I, I get it, you, you, know, you want to tell me how to run the universe, and I can understand how, you know, what your qualifications are. I, I, you, you were able to program your DVD player, that's, that's pretty impressive, um, you know, whatever. I happen to be the God, the creator of everything, of everything that ever was. Could, could you, here, here let's do this. I'll let you counsel me if you can just create just one thing, any one thing. Go, go ahead, go, create it. Go ahead, well, what, 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 see all that stuff that you're using to create? I made that stuff. So you're not really creating anything, are you? Now, who are we to assume that we could give counsel to God? Do you know how arrogant it is when, when we go through hard situations when we allow ourselves to say things to the effect of, um, I, you know, when, when I get to heaven, God's got some explaining to do. God's got some explaining to do. Let me, let me tell you something. When you get to heaven, you're going to fall flat on your face. Flat on your face. That you're, you're going to experience worship in a way you've never experienced it before. That you will be so overcome by the glory of God, the only one that's going to have any explaining to do is you. Is you. The glory of God is completely overwhelming. Completely overwhelming. Look at this last statement. This is, the good, this is good right here. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Christian, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you live to the glory of God. You die to the glory of God. God saves you 
not for your sake, but for his own glory's sake. That your salvation is not about bringing you something, it's about ultimately bringing God glory. Non-Christian. If you are on the fence about, you know, I don't even know if I believe in God and, and that sort of thing. And let me tell you this, if you ultimately choose never to accept Jesus Christ and you die and you go to hell, you go to hell for the glory of God. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with how righteous and how just and how loving God is. Well, how could a loving God send me to hell? A loving God made a way for you not to go to hell and you chose to ignore it. You chose to ignore it. So you can play the victim, the spiritual victim in that way if you want to, but even your decision to walk into hell brings God glory. Everything, everything is about the glory of God. Everything. Guys, when we get this real and true sense that my life is not about me, it's not about me. If I'm serving God and I'm doing everything I can to, you know, because if you're a Christian, that's what we try to do. We try, we, we try to get a sense of what, where the Holy Spirit's leading us, the kind of whatever ministry he wants us to do, the decisions he wants us to make, and we try to follow him in that. And if I set out on a path of following God as closely as I possibly can, and somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, an enemy stabs me in the back, a cancer attacks my body, whatever unexpected thing happens to me, have you ever considered this, that maybe the bad things that are happening to you, again, are not about you. Maybe it's all about the glory of God. James, the brother of John, never thought, or maybe he did, I don't know. But I'm sure he wasn't thinking about it all the time that in the service of Christ, he was going to lose his life. Peter didn't anticipate every day of getting arrested necessarily. Peter had plans to continue to spread the gospel and then he gets thrown in jail and all his plans get sidetracked. But these are men and, and, and women throughout the ages who have known that ultimately their lives were not about them, it was about the glory of God. And so whatever situation comes my way, to God be the glory. Whatever situation comes my way, to God be the glory. And if you're that person right now that is experiencing some, some knocks, some hits, some things that are just keeping you down and keeping you discouraged. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. It's not about you. It's about him. And so God, and so what that looks like for us is as we get hit by circumstances and we get crippled by things that happen in our lives, our approach as people who have come to a knowledge that ultimately our lives are not about us, it's about the glory of God. Our approach to God in that moment is, God, I don't understand why this is good. I don't understand how this can, how you can work all this together for my good like your word says that you will, but I'm going to trust that you will. And so God, even though I don't understand this, to your name be the glory. 
To you be the glory. God, would you use this jacked up situation that I find myself in, that I am miserable in right now, would you please redeem it in some way and bring about your glory in this situation, God? I don't want the glory for this. I don't want anything in this, God. Would you use this circumstance somehow to bring glory to your name? And when we can approach our Heavenly Father, and I'm going to tell you guys, this requires a level of spiritual maturity that doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come overnight. When you can take up some of the most jacked up situations of your life and hand them to God and say, God, to you be the glory. I'm going to glorify you no matter what. David, the, the, the King David was a master at this. If you read through the Psalms that he wrote, he was a master at this. He would, he would say things like, <coughs> I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to read it now. Psalm 13. Psalm 13 says this. It's one of my favorites. And this is just one of many like this that he wrote. It says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I've prevailed over him. Then you skip down to the end. He's, but he, he, he ends it with this. He's, and he's laying his soul bare. God, how long? Are you going to ignore me? It's like, where are you? I'm doing everything I can to follow you, and would you please just show up in any tangible way in my life? Would you please stop giving my enemies victory over me? Would you please remind me that you actually still exist? And then he says this at the end of that chapter, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In other words, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing in this situation. I don't know where you are. I'm not even sure you exist anymore, but I'm going to take a step of faith and just say to you be the glory. I'm sure you have a plan even though I can't see it. Even though I can't see it. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Guys, you, you want to know why the the early church spread like a wildfire across. Why a handful of men and women were able to literally turn the world upside down because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't because they were great. It's because they knew they served a great God. It's because they knew they served a great God. And guys, we will turn this community upside down, not because of how great a pastor I am, not because of how great our worship team sounds, not because of anything that's great about us, we will turn this community upside down because we have a clear and present knowledge and understanding of how great the God we serve is. This wildfire will continue through this church, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Because of who he is. You know what that means? That means for us as a church, we look at our circumstances and our surroundings, and in faith, because we know who God is, in faith, we expect bigger things than we can accomplish on our own. 
We expect God to show up in bigger ways than we've ever seen him show up before. We expect him to change lives that everybody around us says can't possibly be changed. We expect him to do a work in Dixon and around the world through this church that nobody sees coming. Why do we expect that? Because we will not limit God. And the second step in all of this is this. Put that next slide up. That you need to remember who, God's, who God is, that God's glory will never, ever be limited by you. You can tell yourself how worthless you are, and you can tell yourself all those victim statements that you've gotten used to telling yourself and all those, all those discouraging things that you have filled your head with, and you can limit God and his power and his scope, but God's glory will never be limited by you. God's glory will go out no matter what your posture towards him is. And it'll either go out through us or it'll go out through someone else, but it's going out. It's going out. You look at other families or other people or maybe even other churches and you, and you look at their lives and you're like, how is it that God shows up in such big and tangible ways for them and, and, and I don't see it in my own life? Could it possibly be because they know and understand the glory of God and they fully expect him to show up in that way and you don't? Could it possibly be that? I'm saying this, people, if, if we want to see God manifest himself and his glory come down in, in a way that blows our socks off, start expecting it. He's that big. He's that capable. He can move in that kind of way. Amen? I'm preaching up here, and you guys are staring at me like I stink. It is that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal. We will never limit the glory of God. It will go out. It will go out. The question is, is it going to go out through and around and, 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 and us? Or is he going to choose another vessel? Is he going to choose another vessel? I, for one, step forward and I say, God, I believe you can do it all. I believe it. I don't limit you in any possible way. I want to see you show up in ways that blow my mind, that blow my mind. And I believe you're completely capable. And guys, we as a church will begin to, to pray and dream God-sized prayers and God-sized dreams and things that only he could do. We will look back on what God has done and we will look back and say, I don't even know how that happened. I, I don't even know how we got to where we got and when we do that, we'll know God has showed up. Because it's not about us. It's not about our glory. It's not about our ability. It's completely, completely about him. Will you bow your head? Everybody just, nobody looking around right now. Just be praying. <coughs> Can I just ask you, are, are you, is there something some, some area of your life right now that you are limiting God in? Is there some statement that you keep telling yourself over and over that you are allowing to victimize you and to keep you down and to keep you from being fully and truly used by God? What is it? What is it? Would you just take that, whatever that thing is, and just make a decision. I'm not going to be the victim of that statement anymore. 
I am not going to listen to the enemy's lies about me anymore. I am not going to let some ignorant person from my past continue to have control over me today. I'm not going to do it. And it's not because I'm so great. It's because God is great. And so when God speaks to me and he begins to call me, and he begins to challenge me and stretch me, I'm going to very nervously step forward and say, yes, God, I will do this. Whatever it is you need me to do, I will do it. I don't know how. I'm not sure I'm capable, but I'm confident you are confident you are. Make that choice today. I'm not going to stand by and watch anymore. I'm not going to stand off and be a victim anymore. I'm going to allow God's glory to grow in my life no matter what circumstance I'm in. If you're in the room today and you've never made a decision to, to become a follower of Jesus Christ and you're, you're just you're still not sure, you're waiting maybe for your life to get cleaned up a little bit better and for you to kind of have things a little bit more together. Can I tell you, stop waiting. You're never gonna be together enough. None of us are. We all limp along in our faith from time to time. Just step out on faith. Can I tell you, there are some things that can only be seen, that can only be understood through a step of faith. You can use your reason and your logic and your facts and your figures, and you can come so close to Christ through that, so far down the road through that, but there are some things that only come clear through a step of faith. I just want to challenge you. Stop. Stop making it about you. Start making it about God. I don't know if I can. It's not about you. I don't, know if, I don't know if I can do it. It's not about you. It's about God. And when we begin to live these lives that are completely and holy to the glory of God, there is no limit to what God can do. There is none. I don't know about you, church, but I want God's glory to be tangible in this body. I want God's glory to be shocking to everyone around us. I expect, I'm not playing at this. I'm not playing at this. Would you join me today and stop playing Christian? Stop tinkering with it and just dive headlong into it and say, to God be the glory, it's not about me. It's not about me. Father, we love you. And your word is so good to us and you are so good to us. And God, even in the worst of our situations, even when our hearts are down, even when we don't feel your presence and even when you feel like, as we just read a second ago, as David felt that you've forgotten us, God, to you be the glory. 
We look back on the times when we did feel your presence, when we did feel your nearness, and we did feel your leadership, and we use that as a benchmark to know that, yes, you are still there. And ultimately, this is not about how I feel. It's only about who you are. And so, God, we give our circumstances to you. We give our victimizing statements to you. We give our, 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 our lack of ability to you. And we just place ourselves in your hands because ultimately we know it's not about us. It's completely about you. God, would you make your glory known in this place through us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are, not because of what we can do, but because of what you have done. God, would your glory fall down on us today. God, would your Holy Spirit wreck us this morning. God, would you challenge us to bigger and better things than we thought was ever possible. God, would you bring us to a place to where we ultimately completely surrender to you and it comes completely, completely about you. God, we want that kind of nearness. We want that kind of surrender. Would you bring us to that place? God, would you remove every excuse and every reason? God, if there's anybody in this room today that has been resisting the draw of your Holy Spirit to even enter a relationship with you, they've been putting it off, they've been putting it off. God, would you just obliterate every obstacle? God, would you take every reason out? And God, would you help them to just take a step of faith right now where they sit to just take a step of faith and begin to pray a prayer and just give their lives to you. God, would you help them in this very moment just pray to you right where they sit. Say, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. I don't want my life to be about me. I want it to be about you. God, we all pray that same prayer this morning. Take our lives and use us and use us up. We love you. We love you. And we are your people and we recognize you as our God. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone deserve the glory and it's not like we could take it from you anyway. Father, lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.